So this story goes back several years ago, but I was tucking my youngest child in bed and we had just read a story and he looks up at me and he says, Hey dad, I just wanted to tell you that, you know, when you and mom were talking about how money's tight and everything, like I understand. And I said, okay, yeah, well, there's nothing to worry about. It's just, yeah, we're just in a season where things are a little bit tight. And he goes, I know dad, but I know that you and mom have to share a bed right now. And you're the only, (laughs) you're the... (laughs) You know, I get my own bed and, and the other kids get their own bed, but you and mom are having to share a bed. So I just hope when money is more plentiful, like you can have your own bed. <laughs> it's a great example of a faulty interpretation, a really good heart, really caring interpretation, but a faulty one because he kind of missed the point that we actually want to be in the same bed together as husband and wife. I thought you were going to say uh, it was a good opportunity to get your own bed because I'm thinking, hey, at 43, sometimes I, I would like my own bed. <laughs> Don't tell Sherry. I won't tell her. This is Alan and Morgan, and you are listening to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. And today we are going to be talking about the topic of faulty interpretation and how that can impact our lives in really so many ways, some seen, some unseen but it affects every day if we don't know to look for it. So I'm excited to have that conversation with you, Morgan. Yes, thanks, Alan. I I think this idea of interpretation is is huge. I remember sitting with a mentor, boy, over a decade ago and just seeking counsel for the road ahead. And I remember distinctly one of the mentors said, how we interpret will shape most of what comes to pass or not in the decade ahead. And I thought that's, that's ridiculous because God is at work and he will prevail. And yet over the years I have seen interpretation is everything. And to have an interpretation that aligns with reality contrasted to, as you said, a faulty interpretation can have dramatic impact and shaping on our lives. Yeah. And I saw this even in a fun way the other day. Somebody had taken, there's a a TV series called Breaking Bad, and I'm not recommending that necessarily for all the listeners, but what I saw was on YouTube, it's a very serious series, and the music is always, when you're watching it, very tense, and it's scored to create tension and draw you into the scene. Well, what somebody had done is taken a scene from that show, and they had put a soundtrack from a sitcom in it. And so it was lighthearted music and it was laughter when one of the people would say something. It's like you could hear the studio audience laughing. There is no studio audience in the actual show. But it made you feel like the whole scene was this lighthearted, playful, you know, something from a comedy that you'd be watching. And it all of a sudden changed the whole atmosphere. The interpretation changed through the music that was playing. And I think what in our lives, you know, what soundtrack are you and I putting in our head? when we're having a conversation with our wife or our kids or our work team? And how does that change how we think everything's going? Because it's only what we're hearing in our head, but it can make us think things are really going well or things are really tense when that might not be the reality at all. Yeah, that's good. So what we thought we'd do today 
is invite you as listeners into ways that perhaps you're having faulty interpretation over things in your life that you just assume are a certain way. And we thought we'd do that through story, just a a chance to share some of our own personal experience and maybe shed some light on it in that way. Morgan, I'll start with an example. This year, the word God, we always talk at Ransomed Heart about um, trying to understand maybe a theme for our year. What's a word that God gives us early on, a scripture, something that gives us a heads up about what the new year will be. And my word for this year, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but it's hiddenness. And that was the least expected word probably for me. But I was working out at the gym and God just, I sensed him speaking, this is your word for the year. And it was really disruptive because hiddenness, you know, what does it mean to be hidden, especially when you're trying to influence the world and do a lot of good, what does that look like to walk into? Well, I've been working through that and and asking God, and here we are in a third of the way through the year, and he's revealed a lot of that to me. But I realized when I will sometimes go through the day, there's this feeling of being unseen or, gosh, I I mentioned something to a group and nobody really asked the follow-up question. Mm -hmm. Or I put my heart out there and really tried to offer a strength, but it wasn't acknowledged. Well, it's easy in those situations to go to this feeling of, I'm unseen, I'm all alone, it doesn't matter. But with the interpretation, with the advanced word that God gave me at the beginning of the year, hiddenness, one particular meaning of that is for me, it's okay that you don't feel always seen by others. I see you, and can you rest in that? Can you lean in that? That's a great grounding for me to go, where am I getting validation? Mm -hmm. Because I can interpret it as nobody is paying attention or nobody's really listening or, or even noticing what I'm saying or doing. Or I can look at it through the interpretation of, actually God gave me a word at the beginning of the year And part of hiddenness is I get to really go deeper with God and not look for those external measurements of my worth in how people react to what I say or what I bring to that particular moment. Does that make sense? So, Alan, what I hear you saying is so much comes down to interpretation, either a true interpretation or a faulty one. And there are many circumstances that could really set you up to be misguided if you were not aligned with this, a healthier interpretation that God's been bringing of this, he's naming it a season of hiddenness. And it's only through that interpretation that you can see clearly. Correct. And it's a way for me in that moment to question is how I'm seeing this, how it really Mm. is, or are my emotions or feelings or just frankly distorted lens of interpreting based on maybe a false read on somebody Mm -hmm. or wanting something that didn't happen. And then emotion wise, you you get to start to be taken out in a way. What we're saying is the right interpretation can rescue you and can reorient you or the wrong interpretation can totally take you out Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden that interpretation gets locked. And at Ransomed Heart, we talk a lot about agreements. Mm -hmm. Well, to me, a faulty interpretation of something is the first step toward a false agreement. 
because you see how something is and you assume that it has to be your interpretation is the right one. And if you're not careful, then over time it's right. This always happens. And so an agreement is made and that agreement then becomes really hard to break sometimes. But it, where does it begin? It usually begins with that first faulty interpretation. Yes. As I think about the story you're telling in this word of hiddenness, I'm aware of this idea that we bring to every situation a presupposed interpretation, but often we're not thinking about it, right? We have a grid through which we see everything. And what I hear you saying is there's an exercise of the soul to pause and consider our considerations, right? That's like the fundamental definition of repentance is to change how we think about what we think. Right. And right, and like the prophet Isaiah said thousands of years ago, is no one stops to think. I mean, mm. it's just a stunning verse to just pause and think. No one stops to think. And so what does it look like if I slow down and consider what is the interpretation through which I am viewing the situation? Because everyone sees the same story differently. Right. And I think that's really important to name because we're trying to align with the truest, most life-giving story being made available to us. That's good. That's really good. What does this provoke in you, Morgan? What's a, a story maybe recently or maybe not so recent where you found yourself interpreting something and later realized, oh, that's not the right, that's not even true? I think of Proverbs fourteen twelve, where it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its way leads to death. I remember when I read that years ago, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its way leads to death. I would think about other people, right? And think, okay, I am on the narrow road and this is right and those people are wrong. And over time, through kind of just the cultivation of humility and frankly, bumping my head on things, I've realized this is a very personal verse. It's an invitation to say, a practice of cultivating humility allows me to come confidently into situations knowing mm. that there are ways I don't see clearly, that there's a way that seems right to me. There's a way that feels right. There's an interpretation that I think is true. And in time, I will find that it leads to death. And so it causes me pause, not self-doubt, but it causes curiosity. Just a real practical example of that. I was about to have my first child, Sherry and I, and Joshua was about to be born. And this was at the height of 2007, which we know now, looking backward, was right before the recession. This was the housing boom and bursting bubble, yes. right? Yep. And I was committed to getting into uh, investment properties. I didn't know at the time, I interpreted it at the time as kind of even stewardship, I would name, right? I'm doing ministry, but I also have to find ways to financially shore up my family. And so I was getting into some investments. I wanted to buy my first investment property before my son was born because I just knew it would get crazy uh -huh. and it wasn't good timing in the market, but I never lived through a recession in my adult life. I had not known emotionally what it's like that leverage works both ways and that there's a time where markets go down. And so there were a few voices of wisdom that I failed to listen to. 
One was my father-in-law just reminding me of that phrase, leverage works both ways, and the voice of a mentor that said, cash is king. And they were reminding me of just really solid investment principles. Mm -hmm. And I had no ears to hear. And so I forcibly bought an investment at the time. I didn't know. It was the peak of the housing bubble. And so fast forward, I buy it, the price tanks, I deal with tenants and repairs and lots of work on this property um, over 10 years. And I sell it 10 years later. And Alan, almost to the dollar, I broke even. Whoa. But it was about a yeah. decade of frustration with no profit gain. And in those years, my interpretation was, God, why does it have to be so hard? And there was a layer of now I can see an orphaned spirit interpreting it as God's holding out on me or luck just hasn't rolled my way. And the truth is, as I look back, I can see God's care in all of that as provision for my initiation, that actually there was a loving father orchestrating some really tough, mm -hmm. hard lessons of no shortcuts that by his grace, I got out with a financial break even, but it really felt like being in graduate school for the masculine yeah, journey. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I had the miles past it that I could see it was initiation. And it was not until deeper experiences in my soul of sonship that I could see it was actually God's fathering and preparing and maturing. And the idea that comes to mind with it is what a mentor said years ago that, again, I didn't have ears to hear, but it's now just coming back to me recently, like Joshua and I are reading Boys in the Boat and we're just loving it. And it's a story of a rowing team in the years before World War II. This was when rowing was just picking up on the West Coast. And it's a brilliant historical read. But the image of these rowing six-man crews, they row backwards. It's only the coxswain that faces forward. So only the coxswain who's small and filled with vibrancy of life yeah. is shouting and leading the boat and commanding and encouraging them in the direction they need to go. Whereas the rowers, they can't see where they're going. And I remember when this mentor said, the healthiest interpretation of reality is much like a rowing team. We go forward, but we only see clearly looking backwards. And I'm so struck, like as Brent and John said in Sacred Romance, this concept of redemptive remembering, that as we get more distance and as we mature in God, we can actually look back on our story and see with a redemptive lens a truer and truer interpretation of what was going on. And so in that story with that investment property, what it revealed was my intentions were partly healthy and partly broken, but in all of it, I had a very distorted interpretation that could only be oriented towards reality more and more over time. So as I'm listening to you say that, I love the story. And it also makes me wonder, what can we do in the moment to actually catch ourselves? In other words, like you went through a decade. Yes with the housing situation yes, and you had the correct interpretation after the end of the decade. Yes. Looking back at that, 
are there ways you could have had that correct interpretation in it? Yes. Or do you think there are certain things like that where you just, you learn on the back end and then use it for the next time? Well, I would say both and, right? There is a learning that only comes through trial by fire and experiences. And like we talk a lot at Ransom Heart, to not waste our pain. Mm -hmm. We have the opportunity to learn really holy and sacred lessons through the miles that we log. And there's no shortcut to the initiation of the soul. But I would also say with wisdom's long view, we do have an opportunity in the moment to have access to a healthier and truer interpretation. And I think that idea of the humility to say, there is a way in me that seems right, that feels right, and yet at the end leads to death. And so one of the things that helps me is always staying open to the possibility that I don't have the interpretation correct. And what it does, Alan, for me, is cultivates the intimacy with God. It cultivates dependency. It cultivates the confidence of God's reliability to steer me clearly. Mm. How about you? Well, yeah, one that this happened, I would say for the first decade of my marriage, and now we're in the second decade, mm-hmm. so this is a little bit of time has passed, but this was a big one. Every time my wife and I would have a disagreement, I would find myself really in kind of a funk and I would find myself tanking emotionally throughout the day internally. And so let's say it was before I went to the outpost or wherever I was going that day. And it it could have been just a minor disagreement or not seeing eye to eye on something. And I would find myself with this sense of dread. And it took me a while to name it because when I would reach out to my wife and say, you know, that afternoon or give her a phone call and she'd be fine. That disagreement was past history. Like it was already something that had gone But in my mind, if I had to put words to the interpretation, I was feeling a sense of, boy, I think our relationship is over. Like, I think we're done. And I started asking myself and and really going to God with, why am I overreacting to what was really a minor disagreement or issue that within 24 hours would be resolved? Well, Morgan, where God took me was in my own growing up years, The most vivid memory I have is the night my mom and dad told me they were divorcing. And I was 11 at the time. And this was the interpretation of an 11-year-old boy. And so I'm not saying this was the full interpretation, but what I had taken from that was my mom was the one who was leading in the conversation of the divorce. My father did not want the divorce And there had been no dramatic action that caused it, but it was, it felt like it was, um, basically her saying, um, I'm just moving on. And so it felt like a dismissal of my father from our house. Now, in fairness to her, there may have been other reasons that I didn't know as an 11 year old, but that's what stuck with me. And so now fast forward, I'm a grown man, I'm married. And there's this sense inside of me that had been unnamed that was at any moment in marriage, the husband can be dismissed, um, that it can Mm -hmm. just be over. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a big reason, but 
in a sense, in the relationship, you're the disposable one. And so anytime Kelly or I would have that the disagreement or where we didn't see eye to eye or where she looked disappointed at something that I had said or done, that started awakening that within me, that unnamed thing. And my interpretation was, this is a disaster and I'm about to be dismissed. It makes no logical sense, right? right? Like I'm looking at your face as I'm saying this and I can see that that's a totally wrong interpretation. And it was, but it felt really true to me because of some past thing I had seen that had locked inside of me. And so, Morgan, it took me um, several years after I named it to fully break that lie that, oh yeah, like when things... When you and your spouse don't see eye to eye, that's the beginning of the end. When, like I said, like 30 minutes after the conversation, Kelly had already moved on and forgotten and we were fine and mm. we had made up and it, there was no big deal. But that interpretation left unchecked could actually become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. Of, I think the relationship's tanking. I think it's in trouble. I go into protective mode or I start justifying why I did what I did because she needs to understand I wasn't wrong. And all of a sudden that can lead to more damage in the relationship, right. all based on a faulty interpretation. So breaking that for me, that was huge. It was huge freedom in something that neither my wife or I could have put a name to in the early years of our yes. marriage. And yet it was real and it was having an effect. Alan. You know, one thing that comes to mind uh, years ago, John named this for me that was really helpful. He said to name the first five years of marriage as young love. He said, it's, mm. you're just getting warmed up, which in our timeline, right. that just feels like, you know, <laughs> ridiculous. Because five years is a long time when you're a newlywed. But I, what I appreciate about your story is you just gave an example of you and Kelly come in to this marriage with vastly different interpretations on the same experience. And what's fascinating about your story you just shared is your dad was on a soulful level, there was a violence that took place. Your dad's dismissal, which is even just a fascinating word, dismissal is what you use to let kids go at the end of a day, right. not in a covenant relationship. Right. So even this that word choice of dismissal in a very benign environment. There was no drama. There was no cataclysmic event, right? It was a very benign, passive, quiet atmosphere at which your mom was able to end this and you experienced deep trauma in very formative years of your childhood. And so what's so interesting is without being healed, all of a sudden you're very vulnerable in very non-dramatic moments, right? This is taking the kids to school or going to church on a right. Sunday morning or dealing right. with monthly budget. It's just a nondescript moment where Kelly reads you wrong or you read Kelly wrong and all of a sudden you feel like you're going to be dismissed. So what I so appreciate is what I hear in your story is the necessity to become students of each other's hearts, to become students of each other's stories so that we can ask the question, what is the interpretation in which they're bringing to this relationship? And those things take time. So our young listeners out there that are new in their marriage, like I would love to just speak grace into it of giving your hearts permission 
yeah. to name those early years, those first five years is young love. It takes five Thanksgivings to figure out how to navigate <laughs> your in-laws, right? right? But at the same time, when we've been in marriages for a long time or any relationship, uh, to know that there are very different interpretations we bring to the table and those affect the outcomes dramatically. Yeah. So Morgan, that's really good. And I think it's also a place for us to pause here at the end of part one, because we've named the problems of faulty interpretation, but I really want us to have plenty of time to go into what are the ways to address that, to, to shift to a true interpretation of who we are in this life that we're in. So we'll pick up next week on that, on ways to have a truer interpretation of life and of ourselves and of the situations we find ourselves in. So we hope you'll join us for that for part two next week. You've been listening to the Ransomed Heart Podcast with Morgan Snyder and Alan Arnold.